All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Psalm 85. Psalm 85. And I'm up here sipping some uh, tea. My wife's a tea drinker, and she knows all these different teas that can change your life. Coffee never claims to be able to change your life. Do you ever notice that? Coffee just claims to get you amped up. But you got all these teas that can change your life. You got teas that can help you with digestion and teas that can help you smell better and teas and teas that smell better and and teas that can put hair on your head and you know make your spouse love you and chase you around the house and just there's there's all kinds of wonderful teas and uh, so I wish I, w- I I wish I liked tea. So don't be jealous of me here. I'm not enjoying this. I'm just drinking it because this is one that makes your uh, vocal cords happy when you're preaching. So this is the one I'm drinking this morning. And uh, to me, tea is coffee that almost made it. (laughs) It just didn't quite get there. But it is good for a lot of things. Like I say, I I, I wish I actually liked it. I'd probably drink it all the time. All right. Um, Psalm 85 And verse 10, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness of peace have kissed each other. Father in heaven, help us now as we look into your word. We thank you for this time we could spend together in singing and fellowshipping and giving and just enjoying the things you've given us. This side of heaven, Lord, and it's just a, it's a small taste of what heaven's going to be like. And so help us now as we look into the word of God for these next few minutes. And Lord, uh, speak uh, to me and through me and help me to stay out of the way of what you're trying to do and help each and every one of us get what you have to say to us. And Lord, we pray for anybody here in this building or looking, looking in online that doesn't know Christ. Help them to see the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. Something that religion is complicated and made difficult, but you intentionally made it simple. And uh, help us to understand these things better this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. When I think of salvation, I always... I always think of that verse, and we've looked at different aspects of salvation. Now, let me say this to you. You may or may not be aware of this, but historically, you study church and secular history where they can be honest, and they're not too good at that. Um, An understanding of these words as a result of the Protestant Reformation is what birthed our nation. It's why we're sitting here tonight, or this morning, blessed the way we are. I mean, from the fact we can meet like this, not only with the liberty of it, but the protection of it. I mean, think of it. We got our security guys here. They wander around. They keep a close eye on the nurseries. We make sure that our kids are our first priority out in the parking lot. Some of you may have been around here long enough to remember when on a Sunday night service, we had guys coming in off the highway and busting into cars. How many of you remember those days? All right. That's kind of what birthed our security. 
and we got guys out there in little golf carts with 50 calibers on them, and, and nobody comes and busts in our cars anymore, no. Not if they don't want to get a face full of 50 caliber, fully automatic. But, um, you know, every blessing we enjoy in this country, the prosperity, the freedom, and, and I know we got our problems. And by the way, we got our problems as we've drift, drifted away from the original intent. The more we become by, like everybody else and less like the Bible, that's where we have more problems. But all of this came as a result uh, directly of the Protestant Reformation that renewed an understanding and, and, and a preaching of these words regarding salvation. The pilgrims came over with that, started the colonies, and of course the rest, as they would say, is history. We looked at justification by faith. It's a judicial act whereby God declares us just in his eyes. It takes place in God's courtroom when we receive Christ as our personal Savior. We looked at imputed righteousness, where God gives to our credit, he imputes to our credit the righteousness of Jesus Christ and imputes our sins to him. For he hath been made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We call this the exchanged life. And it's done again in God's courtroom. It's something he declares. These are things that are lost on modern Christians, but they're so important. We looked at adoption. It's a legal judicial act which makes, it, which makes us sons of God and heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And I'm told by lawyers that uh, the adoption inheritance rights legally in our country are actually stronger in many ways than that of a, of a, of a natural-born child into a family. We looked at redemption. It's a payment to buy back. We were gods in the garden, and then we were lost to God, but God made a payment of redemption in our behalf, and we talked about uh, the importance of that. And then we looked at propitiation, and that's a the payment made to get two enemies back, two, two parties that are at odds with each other. And we were at odds with God. Our sins were an offense to a thrice holy God. We, the Bible says we were at enmity with God. We had joined up, whether we knew it or not, with the prince of the power of the air. And as a result of the propitiation that was made, Christ's blood that was shed, that enmity was taken away. And then what takes place? Reconciliation. Reconciliation is, a, to use the phrase, it's a beautiful thing. When a, when a couple that hasn't been getting along is reconciled, it's wonderful. When, when maybe a child that's been rebelling against their parents uh, gets back together and and comes back under the authority of their parents, it's a wonderful thing when, when two friends, two brothers in Christ, reconciliation, but 
The greatest reconciliation is when we're reconciled to God because of the, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Then we looked at regeneration. Now, a lot of these other things are judicial acts that God declares in his courtroom. Regeneration is something that takes place inside of us. We're born again. We have a dead spirit, but when we're saved, the spirit of God comes and lives inside of us, and we have a new spirit. We have the spirit of God taking up resonance inside of us. And we bear the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, which are all counterintuitive to who we naturally are. Now, some people are real nice and personable, and they can fake some of these fruit. But that's all it is. It's just faking it. And by the way, you can't fake all nine of them at once. It never happens. It never works. In order to bear those nine fruit of the Spirit, you have to have the Spirit of God taking control. And what it does is it overrides who and what we are. Now, not in a robotic sense. Don't misunderstand. When, when God is in control, he doesn't turn you into some sort of spiritual robot. You understand what I'm saying? You don't lose your personality. You don't lose your free will. You are still who you are, but you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and he guides and directs all of those tendencies to his glory and honor. Some of you, when you get excited in a, in a song service, some of you are animated. You say amen. You get loud. Uh, boy, I tell you what, I, I, I miss Brother Rick Weston in a lot of ways. That's one of the ways I miss Brother Rick Weston. And he was just a real expressive guy. I'd be preaching sometimes, he'd be preaching right back at me. <laughs> when we were in Bible Institute classes, sometimes I'd have to say, Rick, Rick, dial it down. i got to finish this. And some of you, when you get excited, instead of like when you're in the flesh and you're just sitting there poker face with your arms crossed, daring me to say something that would be a blessing... Instead of that, you got a smile on your face and you wiggle your ears. <laughs> it's not real animated, but it's who you are. And it's when the Spirit of God gets a hold of you. So we get regenerated and we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. It's something that takes place inside of us. When we become born-again Christians, born of the Spirit. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And I hope you never become so high and mighty of a Christian that you are bored of these great truths. I meet some of these very, very spiritual brethren. But they're just so advanced, they don't want to hear about this stuff anymore. They're just into the deep things of the Word of God. And since nobody can teach them anything anymore, they're not in church anymore. They just sit at home alone with God. God sort of waves Hebrews 10 
verse 25 that says, uh, you know, forsake not the assembling of the ma- yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day, of, but exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching because they really don't need that, so they just get along with God by themselves because they're beyond all this. Don't ever get beyond all this. Don't, get, don't ever get beyond Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Because you ever get too good for all that, you're going to find out the problems that that breeds in your life. So we look at the next word, and the next word is salvation. Salvation. How's that for a common word? Peter talks about the common salvation. And yet that's a word people don't understand. I, I, I shared with you that when I was a kid growing up as a Roman Catholic in the suburbs of Chicago, I didn't know what the word salvation meant. We would go to Mass and all that traditional and all that hocus-pocus and ritual didn't mean anything to me, and the word salvation was tossed around. But my most practical understanding of salvation is when my mom would give me a paper grocery bag full of old clothes and I'd throw it in the basket in my bicycle and she'd tell me to go several blocks down the road to the Jewel food store that had a Salvation Army drop box. It uh, looked, it really, it looked like a uh, garbage dumpster is what it looked like, but it wasn't. It said Salvation Army and you open up and you put old clothes in there and and so if you'd asked me, what is salvation, I would have said it was that. But we find out from the Word of God that salvation is to save. It's to salvage. It's the act of saving. Preservation from destruction, danger, or great calamity. And that's where we were all at before we were saved. Now some of you got saved young and you would say, well... Great calamity, destruction, and danger really doesn't describe where I was at when I was six years old. No, it probably doesn't. But being saved kept you from all of that. And you know what I find is the problem with people that get saved young, if they don't keep things in perspective and understand that God saved them from all of that? You know what their problem is usually? It's arrogance. They walk around like little entitled kings of the kingdom. (laughs) Well, I didn't do all that stuff that the rest of you idiots did. So I'm a little better than everybody else, and God really needs to use me, and God is within 10 miles of your life. You know what you need to do this morning? You need to realize that but for the grace of God, you could have ended up in the Crossfire Motel. You just happen to be born with the dumb luck of being in a good Christian home. And your parents kept you and your church kept you from becoming the idiot that you could have become. But now you're an arrogant idiot. And so I I challenge you this morning to lose your arrogance. And realize, but for the grace of God... <clears throat> you'd be spending your five nights a month in the rescue, mini- uh, rescue ministry yourself downtown. Two hots and a cot, and the rest of the week living under a park bench. 
Yeah, that's where you could have been. That's where you could have been. And some of us, we got saved a little bit later. Now, I didn't get saved that much later, but I got saved when I was 18. And I'd messed around for a few years. And You know, I, I really feel bad. I've, I've seen guys get saved in their late 30s and into their 40s and 50s. And they do those drugs for decades. And it, and it takes, a, it takes a, a higher toll on them. But I'm grateful God saved them, and they're grateful too. But I'm just, I'll tell you what, the younger you got saved, the more grateful you should be. You ought to talk to some of these guys that got saved in their 40s and 50s. And, 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 and the trail of disaster that's in their wake, that they can't go back now and change. Some of it's family stuff, some of it's career stuff, some of it's health stuff, and thank God they're saved. And thank God they got a testimony. But unfortunately, you can't go back and relive all of that. If God saved you young, be grateful. Be thankful. Don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Salvation. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 28, the apostle Paul speaking, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. By the way, that's an example of the Jews being arrogant. And thinking, man, we're the, we're the caretakers of all things spiritual. We got the scriptures, uh, we've got the traditions, and the Messiah is going to come through us. And of course, they totally missed him. He was standing right there, and they were still looking for him somewhere else. And because of that arrogance, God set them aside and said, All right, the gospel's going to these heathen Gentiles that you so despise. Jesus said, The publicans and harlots go into the kingdom. He said, before you do. By the way, that's half the reason they crucified him. They were so offended at that kind of talk. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God. It's the most powerful thing in the world. I'm, I'm inventorying all my guns and ammo, and, and it's, not, it's not as much as some of you guys have, but it's enough for me, and I'm going through it, and some of this stuff is loaded from the factory, and others is reloaded by some. I'm not a reloader, but reloaded by somebody else, and they put down what kind of gunpowder and how much gunpowder and all this other stuff, and I just hope they did it right. So that when I pull the trigger, the gun doesn't blow up in my face. But you know what? The gospel is the dynamite of God. And it's more powerful than anything that's going to be going on on Wall Street tomorrow. When the stock exchange opens up or uh, earlier or later or whenever, according to the time, time zone uh, in Tokyo 
and in London and everywhere else. And in Washington, D.C., the power brokers. And in war, the bombs that can be thrown around and all the debate over who should have the atomic weapons and not have the atomic weapons and who, who, who that they're safe in their hands and not safe in their hands. By the way, I was watching an interview with Gorbachev. He's pretty old now, and they were talking about nuclear threats and all that stuff. He did make a pretty good point. I, I had to admit, he said, you know, America is the only country that ever used them on anybody. True story. Now, I'm not saying we were wrong and do it. We ended a war and probably saved a half a million American lives or more. And who knows how many Japanese lives by not having to invade the mainland. But he makes a good point. But you want to know something? All of that power. <coughs> they got nuclear warheads now that make Hiroshima and Nagasaki look like a hot dog roast. I mean, some of those hydrogen bombs... Uh, the Russians have blown one up. I forget the name of it, but I mean, it's, it's like a thousand times more than Hiroshima. And you want to know something? All that is small potatoes alongside of the power of the gospel to change a life and to change an eternal destiny. You walk out of this place here today with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have the most powerful thing in the world. So how come the track racks don't get emptied out faster than they are? Don't sit there and say amen. I agree with you, preacher. And then walk out of here and never hand out a gospel track all week. Huh? If one of these things, oh, it's the Tazar. T-S-Z-A-R is, 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 the, uh, is the biggest one ever. It, biggest one ever tested, and it's, and, it's, and it's by Russia. It's just, I don't know where they tested it. They must have tested it on Mars or something. So you're walking around with something that's more powerful than a nuclear warhead. Would you please fill your pockets with them today before you leave and put a few in your purse, lady, and just lay them around and set the fuse on it and walk away. It'll blow up somewhere, and it might change somebody's life. The gospel of Christ. Paul said in Romans 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And you believed in your heart, and you opened up your mouth, and it changed your eternal destiny. Romans 13, and that the Knowing the time, that the time is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. You know what Paul's talking about there in Romans 13? Our salvation is nearer than when we believed. All the stuff in our salvation that we didn't get when we got saved, like the resurrection body, the salvation of our bodies, the salvation of our circumstances being taken from this place to that place. And you know what? Every day you get up in the morning, it's nearer than when you believed. We are closer to heaven today than when we were a week ago here in this service talking about Father's Day. And if the Lord tarries a week from now, we'll be that much closer. 
Second Corinthians 6 says, For he saith, I have heard thee in the time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're not saved, you have no reason to wait. In fact, every day you wait, you're playing Russian roulette with your soul. When you know how to be saved, God has fulfilled every obligation for you to be saved. And he has no obligation to leave you alive one more day. Down south, there have probably been millions south of the Mason-Dixon line that have gone to hell that knew that. I, I worked with a lady when I first moved down there to go to Bible school. My first job was at a Burger King. And it was working on the hamburger, forget it was, it was uh, the grill. And it was this chain, you put the burgers on there, it goes through and it fires. And there was a gal there that made the, the, the whopper. She could make a, she could put, she grab that thing, pull that stuff on and wrap that thing up in about a second and a half. And she's an old southern gal. She'd grown up in church. I asked her one day if she was saved. She said no. In fact, she didn't say no. She said hell no. She threw in a little Bible with it. <laughs> Who knows how much Bible lost people use? She said hell no. And then she proceeded to quote John 3.16. Are you ready for this? John 3.16 through verse 21. Verbatim. She says, I'm not saved. I said, how'd you know all that Bible? She told me about going to church and being taught the Bible by her mom and all this other stuff. I said, well, what are you waiting for? She said, well, the time just isn't right. She was an old woman by then. She knew that stuff since she was a little girl. Guess what? You put it off long enough, it'll harden your heart. Your heart will get callous. The time will never be right. And you'll go to hell knowing how you could have gone to heaven. And you'll have eternity in hell to regret that. I can't think of anything worse. I'd rather be somebody that didn't have a clue than have to kick myself all over hell knowing I could have, I could have been saved time and again. Now is the time, now is the day. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. I don't know about you, but before I got saved, God the Holy Spirit made me so miserable I could hardly stand it. I could hardly stand it. I was looking for answers everywhere. I was looking at people. I was looking at philosophies. I was looking at religions. I was willing to try anything because the burden of my sin was so heavy. That's godly sorrow that worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of. By the way, repentance is a good thing for Christians, too. 
We think you repent one time when you get saved, and that's, that's enough. No, it's not. A lot of times we get ourselves tied up in sin patterns, and it disrupts our fellowship with God. It causes us to be a, uh, it causes us sometimes, and we don't even know it, to be a pariah to the brethren. And we just don't think we have anything to repent of. Or if we do repent, we get over it real fast. <laughs> you ever do that? You ever get right with God but get over it the next day? Two old men in a nursing home that professed to be saved, they didn't get along. They were always fussing with each other. And one thought he was dying. He, they said he was on his deathbed. He didn't have long to live. So he called the other guy over. And he made all these tearful apologies. And the other guy was real impressed. And he made all kinds of tearful apologies. And they hugged. And it looked like they had some reconciliation going on. But the guy that was getting ready to die, he kind of snapped out of it for a second. And he said, but he said, if I don't do, he, he said, if I don't die, he said, then none of this counts. He said, that's how we are sometimes. You know, God brings you to a place of repentance sometimes. Don't get over it. I've met people, you know, they can get blubbering and, and get repentant of stuff, and then they just seem to get over it by the next day. Don't be that way. Ephesians chapter 1 says, In whom ye trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. It's an eternal salvation, folks. It's an eternal salvation. Very few of us here this morning understand what it's like to be saved and then think you got to work to keep it and wonder from day to day if you really have it. You talk about, Brother Holtam talking about anxiety and stress. That'll create anxiety and stress. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, the first piece of equipment you need as a, as a uh, Roman first century infantry foot soldier over there in Ephesians chapter 6 is you need that helmet of salvation. Knowing you're saved. Knowing you're saved gives you a certain confidence that maybe since the day you've been saved, you take for granted now. You take for granted. But you got to have that helmet on. Philippians chapter 2 says, Wherefore, my brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. A lifetime of manifesting what's inside, working it out. It doesn't say work for it. Work it out with fear and trembling. I wonder about these bubblegum professions of salvation that have eternal security sort of attached to them. And it doesn't cause any godly living. It doesn't produce any holiness. doesn't produce any progress, but seems to produce a careless, so-called believer that when you ask them if they're saved, they go, yeah, I did that. I did that. I got that over with. I've knocked on people's doors. Are you saved? 
Yeah, now get out of here, slam, you know. Or a few expletives thrown in there as they slam the door in your face. That's kind of a funny salvation. I've never understood people to get mad when you try to witness to them. I get calls all the time. You know, somebody puts some gospel tracks in a, in a 24 case of beer. <laughs> Somebody's at their barbecue, you know, and pull out a beer and here comes a track. I don't mind. You just keep doing it. But I, I got to get a phone call. And a tune out. And you know what I tell them? I say, look, why don't you just throw the track out if you don't want it? They do it with junk mail all the time. You know, I had a woman call one time. We had a couple young ladies knock on their door and hand her a track. She got all indignant and everything. I just listened to her for a few minutes. I said, well, ma'am, what is the world coming to? I say, two nice-dressed young ladies kindly coming up to your door, concerned about your soul, loving on you and telling you about Jesus, what is the world coming to? <laughs> Guess she would have rather had two trans fairies come to her door and tell her, you know, tell them about something like that, huh? I suppose. I don't know. I just said, man, if you don't want it, just throw the track out. What is the big deal? <laughs> the Bible says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet... The hope of salvation. Man, I, you know, after Jimmy Carter, I didn't think it was possible to have a worse president. I really didn't think it was possible. Some of you aren't old enough to remember him. And you can make the argument for Clinton and Barack Obama being worse, but I'm telling you what, I, I think for efficiency of getting everything wrong every time with zeal, I thought Jimmy Carter was the best. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> we got a guy now that, you know, you know, whether it's somebody pulling the strings from behind or he really is that stupid or he's stupid like a fox or whatever he's doing. But uh, we live in some pretty weird days. And you want to know something? That doesn't change anything about our relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't change anything about our marching orders. We're still told to go into all the world and preach the same gospel to every creature. That gospel didn't change after he got in as president. And it, and it won't change if someone else gets in in 24. It's the same gospel. Oh, and by the way, you still got that same helmet of salvation. It hasn't changed. And none of this takes God by surprise. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says that, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I thank the Lord for all the 
young people around here that got saved at an early age. We hear it all the time with these baptisms. You know, a kid come back from master club, heard a verse about hell or sin and got all scared, went to his mom and dad. Mom and dad led him to Christ at six years old. Praise the Lord. Statistically, the vast majority of people get saved before they're 20 years old. If you got saved after the age of 20, and especially if you were in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, you're definitely a brand plucked out of the burning. Titus 2 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You know, you read the book of Hebrews, the Bible says God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. According to Acts chapter 10, it looks like God obligates himself to bring the gospel to a man who is truly seeking the Lord. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. I remember when I met the guy that ultimately brought me to church and had as much to do or more than leading me to Christ than anybody else. I remember when I met him, I remember I went home that night and I stayed up half the night praying Catholic prayers that he wouldn't die. Got up the next morning, I showed up at his door at seven in the morning. Woke him up, he came to the door, he goes, what are you doing here? I said, you're alive. I was serious. I was serious. God's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You tired of your sin? You're tired of the emptiness that this world has to offer. How every trail they put you on, when you get to the end of it, it's a dead end. Every pot of gold you chase evaporates when you get to it. Are you tired of it yet? You're looking for something real? God's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Jesus Christ wants to give you something real. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to give you abundant life. He wants to give you new life. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, you've said in your word that mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Father, we thank you for the day that that took place in our lives. But Father, we know in a group this size, and Father, we know that there's somebody looking in this morning and they've not been saved yet. And you said that you're a rewarder of them that diligently seek you. That Italian man, Cornelius, in Acts chapter 10, he gave alms, he prayed always. He was seeking, but he didn't know what to do. He was still lost, still carrying around the burden of his sin, but... He was different than most because he felt the weight of it. He wasn't trying to drown it out with drugs or alcohol or activity or worldly pleasure. He wanted to know what to do with it. He was praying. And you said in your word, Lord, his alms and prayers had come up as a memorial before God. And somehow or another, Lord, there was a tipping point there. And you obligated yourself to get him the gospel. And you sent Peter to him. 
And he got saved and the rest of his household got saved. Father, perhaps there's someone here this morning, they're in the same case. They want to know the truth. They're tired of things that aren't real. They're tired of carrying the load of their sins around. Father, help them right now where they're at sitting in their seats just to get up, excuse their way through someone who's blocking the aisle. Come on down forward and let somebody show them out of the Bible how to be saved. Have a word of prayer with them and get it taken care of. Maybe there's somebody looking in here this morning on whichever platform. Lord, may they pray a prayer something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. I violated your, higher, your, your high law, and, and, and I've sinned against you. And you're a holy God, and I know I'm in trouble with you, Lord. But I'm grateful you sent Jesus Christ to die for me. And he was buried and rose again the third day. And I'm asking him to be my personal Savior right now. I'm asking him to give me eternal life. I'm tired of that which leads to a dead end. I'm tired of that which leaves me empty and lonely. I'm tired of that which keeps the burden of sin growing. I, I, want, I want Christ to take my sins and give me his righteousness. And I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 297. Are you washed in the blood? Number 297. Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood? 
that Nate Gipp? Good to have you here. Come on up and close us in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. God, it is always good to hear about your blessed gift of salvation. Um, Lord, I didn't know if any, didn't see if anybody came forward, but Lord, we know if there is one in here or two or more that uh, need to humble their heart and bow the knee to you today, I pray, God, that you would please deal with their hearts right now. Lord, for the rest of us, um, Lord, the, the challenge, the command, commission, whatever you want to put out there is was issued for us today to grab tracks on the way out the door and tell people about it. Uh, Lord, we have been given this privilege and responsibility, and I pray, God, that we will not fail you. Lord, if there's somebody on our hearts that is not saved, that you would, Lord, put them in our pathway. And, uh, Father, we'd give a chance and opportunity to witness to them. Thank you so much for salvation, how free it is. Uh, Lord, we've got freedom in this country, and we appreciate that freedom, but, boy, it's it pales in comparison to the freedom we have in you, and I thank you for it. Please bring us back again tonight. Bless this church, Father. Bless these people. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.